It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 396 for June 8, 2014. This week, a new version of WordPerfect offers some features that Word can't match. The ability to link smart objects is a welcome new feature in Photoshop CC. In Short Circuits, once again, a comedian explains what clueless bureaucrats miss about net neutrality. Have you looked at thumb drives lately? They are no longer anywhere near the size of your thumb. If you're looking for an application to replace TrueCrypt, which abruptly disappeared, I have some suggestions. Apple may have run out of cat names for its operating systems, but it continues to add cool new features. And revelations about snooping by the National Security Agency seem to have spurred development of tools for securing email. This section is called Word Perfect is Not Word, and Word is Not Perfect. That much should be immediately obvious. If you're old enough, you remember a time before Microsoft Word existed, when Word Perfect was king. Dozens of other word processors existed. They had names such as Electric Pencil, WordStar, WordMark, Xyrite, Multimate, Lotus Manuscript, and lots more. The primary battle was between WordStar and WordPerfect, and then Microsoft got involved. Today, most people use some variant of Microsoft Word, but not everybody. There are, in fact, some good reasons why WordPerfect might be a better choice for you than Word. Microsoft Word can read files written by few other word processors and write files only in Word, HTML, XML, and PDF formats. On the other hand, WordPerfect can read and write files in dozens of formats. This doesn't mean it's a good idea to use WordPerfect as part of a workflow where files must be shared with Microsoft Word users on a back-and-forth basis. But if you deal with historical documents, WordPerfect is probably the only application that'll be able to open most of them. According to Corel, WordPerfect Office X7 offers support for Microsoft Office file formats. You can open, edit, and save the latest Microsoft Office file formats in each WordPerfect Office X7 application, whether it's a Word document, DOCX extension, a spreadsheet, XLSX extension, or presentation files, PPTX extension. WordPerfect Office X7 ensures hassle-free collaboration and file exchange. Those are the words of Corel. Let me try it in my words. I stand by my caution, though. Things can go wrong in translation. Even though the translation of documents that use basic functions of either program will probably be pretty uneventful, this doesn't mean that there will never be a problem. And note that when WordPerfect saves files for Word, the document format is actually doc instead of docx. Most word processors today can save files in Adobe's Portable Document File Format, PDF, but WordPerfect X7 takes the process a big step further by making it possible to create PDF forms that can be used for gathering information. Creating PDF forms usually requires the purchase of Adobe Acrobat. 
The forms can include text fields, checkboxes, drop-down lists, list boxes, and radio buttons. This feature alone could be worth the cost of the upgrade if you're currently using an older version of WordPerfect. WordPerfect still has a substantial user base in education and legal markets. One feature that Microsoft was never able to replicate and that continues to be considered valuable by users is the Reveal Codes function. And familiarity, in this case, breeds content instead of contempt. While Microsoft has made major changes to its user interface, anyone who used the first true Windows version of WordPerfect back in the late 1990s will find more similarities than differences in the X7 version that's just been released. Although WordPerfect is a fine general-purpose word processor, Corel plays to its niche market in law offices by maintaining a separate version called WordPerfect Legal Office X7. The interface, as I mentioned, will be familiar. First of all, the main menu and toolbar have changed very little in the past decade. Some features have been added, but Corel has avoided making wholesale modifications. Second, Perfect Expert has been around for a while, and it is intended to provide guidance when and if the user wants it. The status bar provides the ability to add a defined signature to the document, to enable or disable what's called the shadow cursor, to display or change the status of caps lock, to count the number of words in the document, to switch between insert and overtype, and to navigate within the document by line number, page number, or any of many other markers within the document. Shadow cursor deserves its own mention. Although it's not a new feature, it's handy. Maybe. If you like it. When the feature is enabled, the user can click anywhere on the page and start typing. WordPerfect inserts the appropriate number of returns and tabs to put your cursor where you clicked. If you find this capability distracting, you can turn it off. WordPerfect has always made good use of the function keys, and that continues to this day. To display the Reveal Codes section, for example, the user can press Alt-V and then C to use the menu, press Alt-F3 to toggle the feature directly, or use the mouse to click the View menu and then select Reveal Codes. The Reveal Codes display has been one of the most helpful features of WordPerfect from the very beginning because it allows users to see exactly which codes are affecting any bit of text. WordPerfect has been known for its macros, saved keystrokes that can perform repetitive tasks. Several dozen macros are included with the program, and users can create their own, save them, and share them. But I mentioned you can create PDF forms with WordPerfect. The process of creating an editable PDF form is surprisingly easy. Just place the cursor at the location where you want a form element. That could be a radio button, a checkbox, a drop-down list, a text field, a multi-line text field, or whatever. Then select Insert PDF Form Controls and the control type you want from a menu. For some control types, such as a drop-down list, you'll then need to define the variables to be displayed. Once you've defined all the fields, then choose File, Publish to PDF, and you're done. You'll find a sample form on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Feel free to download it, fill it in, save it, and email it back to me if you'd like. What's nice is that the user doesn't need Adobe Acrobat to edit the file. 
just the free Adobe Reader program, and that's already installed on most computers. Anybody who needs to create PDF forms, even occasionally, should be wowed by this feature. Pricing? Well, a home and student version is priced at $100, while the legal version sells for $350. Upgrades are $225. The legal version includes WordPerfect Quattro Pro Presentations, Perfect Authority, a Table of Authorities Creator, Lightning, which is a notebook application, an ebook publisher, and Roxio Secure Burn to create CDs. The version most people will purchase is called Standard. It omits perfect authority because it's designed for legal offices and sells for $250, upgrades $160. A professional version adds the Paradox Database Manager for $400 or upgrades for $260. Corel developed its office suite by acquiring some applications, Quattro Pro and Paradox, for example, and continuing to develop the word processor and certain other components on its own. One of the primary differences between Word and WordPerfect is the methods that the applications use to apply formatting codes. The method that Microsoft selected apparently makes it impossible to create an option to show the underlying codes, not that users haven't asked for the feature. WordPerfect, on the other hand, has been able to display formatting codes since the earliest days of the application. When something on the screen doesn't look quite right, being able to review the actual formatting codes makes fixing the problem a lot easier. The bottom line for WordPerfect X7, five cats. It's not Word, but it could be the perfect choice. The latest version of WordPerfect brings a new ability to the table. Creating editable PDF forms is a valuable addition to a word processor that, although it's no longer the standard in most offices, still has a lot to offer. Additional details are available on the Corel WordPerfect website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Adobe's Creative Cloud developers have added a new feature to the current version of Photoshop, and it's the kind of feature that's easy to overlook. Overlooking this feature would be unfortunate, though, because it can make your life a lot easier. Those who use Adobe InDesign will already be familiar with the concept of linked objects. Photoshop users might notice a new option in the file menu, and I'd like to take a couple of minutes to explain just how it works and why it's important. Let's assume we're developing a website dedicated to orange cats, and the client has approved a logo with the words orange cats and a line drawing of an orange cat. Take a look on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and you can see what I'm talking about. Next, let's assume that we're going to use Photoshop to mock up the design for a dozen or so pages, and we've added the logo to each page. The key point is how we added the logo. Photoshop now offers two options, Place Embedded and Place Linked. Embedded is the old way of doing things. Any image that's embedded is essentially a copy of the original. Change the original image, and the copy you've placed in Photoshop will not change. Linked is the new way. If you place a linked image in Photoshop, any change you make to the original image will be reflected in the Photoshop document. You'll see my sample mock-up page on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The logo is linked. This is important, particularly if you have the image on more than a few pages. Perhaps you have mocked up a dozen pages, 
or 20 or 100. And then the client says, oh, you know, I really don't like that typeface. Could we fix that? So you then work with the client to determine which typeface should be used for the logo. And in the old way of doing things, you would then have to place the revised image on the dozen or 20 or 100 pages that you've already created. So I did an experiment. I left the main page open in Photoshop, made the change to the logo in Illustrator, saved the file, and then went back to the Photoshop file. The new image is already in place. If it's just one page, this isn't a big deal. But if you have dozens of pages to update, or more, this could be a real time saver for you. And clients have been known occasionally to make last-minute changes. Well, I'd, I'd really like to change the orange cat's eyes to be yellow, the client says. No problem. You change the color of the cat's eyes in Illustrator, save the file, open Photoshop, and then open your page mock-up again, and... Oh, nothing changed. What's wrong? What's going on here? Well, Photoshop is good, but it's really not magic. If the file isn't open in Photoshop, it cannot be updated automatically. Notice, though, that if you open a document on which a linked file has been placed, you'll be told that something needs to be updated. You'll see that on the Layers panel. You'll also see it in the status bar at the bottom of the page. So, what do you do then? Well, you right-click the linked Smart Object layer and choose one of the following. Either Update Modified Content. In that case, the selected image will be updated even if other linked smart objects have been changed. Or Update All Modified Content. In that case, the selected image and any other linked smart objects that have been changed will be updated. After updating the linked smart object, the display will be correct. The linked object in the Layers menu will no longer have a warning icon. The status bar will show that everything is up to date. Take a look at my final mock-up on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This is a very cool new feature, and it's a good example of the advantages of a cloud-based system that can deliver updates the moment they're available. There has been some pushback from users who don't like the subscription model, and I understand that. But the subscription model does have its advantages. If you're a Creative Cloud subscriber, you already have this feature. short circuits, once again the comedians are showing that they have more common sense than politicians. Comedian John Oliver recently spent 13 minutes explaining the concept and illustrating why now is a really good time to speak up and why waiting would be hazardous to your internet. You'll find the video on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll also find a link to the Federal Communications Commission's comments site. Please, if you haven't spoken up about net neutrality yet, do let the FCC know what you think. How much data can you carry around in your pocket? The first time I saw a thumb drive in New York City, 16 megabytes in a pocket was really amazing. That would have been at least a dozen floppy disks. The Israeli company that introduced the thumb drive suggested that a one gigabyte drive would be available eventually. Well, now you can put 16 gigabytes in your pocket. 
or 32 or even 64 gigabytes in your pocket. There's a photo on the TechBiter Worldwide website, my hand holding the original 16 megabyte thumb drive, and several others, a blue one from Micro Center, a white one from Patriot, and a red one from Verbatim. Oh, and at the left side, there's a little device from Lexar, 64 gigabytes. While the Patriot device is 1,000 times larger than the original device at 16 gigabytes, the red verbatim device and the blue micro center device are both 64 gigabytes, but both of these are relatively slow. The 64 gigabyte drive from Lexar is a USB thumb drive. It is faster than anything I've used before. Even the smallest drive in the picture could be made smaller because the chip that houses all of the memory is probably about the size of the nail on your smallest finger. All of this makes me think about computers, such as an antique Honeywell 200 system. It was in operation until nearly the turn of the century at a company I'm familiar with. This was a computer with several tape drives, but no disk drive. It did have memory. The Honeywell 200's core memory was just that, core memory. A single 64 kilobyte memory module was the size of a suitcase. Times change. And indeed, times do change. With very little warning, TrueCrypt has ceased to be, and that has the rumor mill in high gear. Did the application have security flaws? Was it too secure? Did developers kill the product rather than cave to demands by the National Security Agency? Did the NSA force the developers to withdraw the product? Those questions and lots more will probably never be fully resolved. But one question does need to be, what now? At the end of May, the TrueCrypt website's main page was replaced by a page that said the development of TrueCrypt was ended in 5, 2014, after Microsoft terminated support of Windows XP. Windows 8, 7, Vista, and later offer integrated support for encrypted disks and virtual disk images. Such integrated support is also available on other platforms. Click here for more information. You should migrate any data encrypted by TrueCrypt to encrypted disks or virtual disk images supported on your platform. Well, current versions of Windows do offer their own encryption options, but TrueCrypt had the advantage of being an open source application that could encrypt files, folders, and entire drives. Some security experts, and I need to point out that there are lots of people who know far more about encryption than I do, have expressed opinions that TrueCrypt did have security flaws. And the replacement homepage on the TrueCrypt site now states that as a fact. Warning, it says, using TrueCrypt is not secure as it may contain unfixed security issues. TrueCrypt was released about a decade ago and provided encryption capabilities for Windows XP, which has no built-in encryption. Now that Microsoft has ended support for XP, the developers possibly no longer saw a need for their product. Maybe there's something to some of the wilder rumors, or maybe they just decided the time had come to shutter the project. The recommended replacement on the TrueCrypt website is BitLocker. That's the Microsoft product. Depending on how you use TrueCrypt, BitLocker might or might not be a good replacement. 
BitLocker has no portable version, for example. That's a feature that made TrueCrypt ideal for thumb drives. If you're using TrueCrypt to encrypt an entire drive, one that's installed in the computer or a USB drive, then Microsoft's BitLocker will do what's needed. Except if you really want security. Microsoft has included backdoor access to some applications, and BitLocker is one of them. So your files will be secure until somebody else wants to see them and that somebody else goes to Microsoft for help. There are several alternatives, and I've placed a list of ones that I've identified on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I have not tested any of them yet. Where prices were readily available, I have provided them. If a price is not shown in that list, then the product may be available without charge, or it may not be. Caveat emptor. Don't you just love it when I speak Latin? <laughs> It's another Apple operating system that is not named after a large cat. OS X 10.10 is called Yosemite. The new operating system and updates to Apple's mobile operating system, iOS, were revealed this week in San Francisco at the company's annual developers conference. iOS is now at version 8. Apple CEO Tim Cook told developers that the operating system updates will allow the company's products devices, and services to work together seamlessly. He called the updates unparalleled in the industry, and he announced the company is making available a new programming language called Swift that is designed to work with OS X and iOS. The programming language promises faster development by allowing developers to write better code because it will eliminate certain routine programming errors. A health monitoring app for mobile devices is among the new features announced. HealthKit can keep track of a user's steps, heart rate, and sleep. Another new feature would turn the mobile device into a control panel for smart home devices that are installed in a user's home. The desktop and notebook operating system, OS X, seemed to take a backseat to iOS this time around. Cook announced that Yosemite will have a streamlined toolbar, redesigned app icons, and a few new icons. Well, more than that, actually. For example iCloud Drive will provide a secure cloud-based file sharing system for Mac users. It'll be available natively inside Finder. Additionally, the feature will keep track of the latest version of a file, and Spotlight, which is Apple's search function, will be integrated with it. Users who need to send large files will be able to use MailDrop, that is similar to services such as Send This File or Hightail, formerly You Send It. It'll handle files as large as 5 gigabytes, but it will work only if both sender and receiver use Macs. AirDrop will make it possible to transfer files from portable devices to desktop and notebook systems. The primary impact of this feature will be with business users. Handoff is somewhat similar to AirDrop and MailDrop. Instead of starting an email message on a portable device, realizing you're not going to be able to finish it, and then forwarding it to yourself for completion on some other device, Mac owners will be able to use Handoff for the process. And Markup is another new email feature that allows users to add notes to photos and PDF documents. The update to Yosemite will be free for users of OS X 10.9, which is called Mavericks. <music> 
kidnapping by the National Security Agency seems to have had some unintended consequences. Last week, I described a new service that will allow users to send and receive encrypted email messages without having an understanding of the underlying technology. Now, Google is getting into the act. Google has released the initial draft of its source code for end-to-end. It's an encryption tool that's based on OpenPGP. Based on early descriptions, Google's encryption session doesn't allow users to send encrypted messages to people who don't have Gmail accounts. ProtonMail does allow people to send messages outside the ProtonMail system. But Google's end-to-end might possibly have the ability eventually to work in conjunction with ProtonMail and other encryption systems. Encryption such as that used by Google or ProtonMail doesn't make it impossible for the NSA to read messages you send or receive, but it does mean that they can't just use the connection to the Internet backbone to scoop up terabytes of plain text messages. Using current technology, the NSA would need to have spyware planted on your computer. Not that that would be impossible. You can't yet use end-to-end. Neither can I. Cryptographers, developers, and privacy experts will now have the opportunity to develop the code and to make recommendations. Google offers monetary rewards to those who file bug reports that turn out to reveal legitimate security flaws. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.